Hi, I'm Randy, and most of you know who I am. Um, what we're doing right now, and the reason my wife and I invited you to be here, is because uh, my wife and I have a podcast that we put up on iTunes and on the internet. It's called T. Randolph and Friends. Some of you know about it, some of you don't, and you're probably thinking, okay, well, what is this about and why are we here? I was on a plane coming home with Debbie from a trip at the early part of the year, and I was reading this magazine about some comedians that had a podcast. And this podcast went viral, and bottom line was it went very well. I didn't even know what a podcast was. And um, in, the, in the middle of the night on this plane, the, God just kind of laid on my heart that, you know what? You need to use this technology, and you need to reach people. And at the time this happened, one of the things he also put on my heart was, I don't want you to reach people in their traditional fashion. I don't want you to tell people they're bad. I don't want you to tell people they need to be judged. I don't want you to tell people they need to be corrected. Um, what he really was saying to me was, people already know, most of the time, the pain and suffering that goes on in their mind. Uh, either the world, people they know, internally, the enemy, whoever, is telling them, you're bad, you're no good, you don't deserve to be loved. And the message that God was telling me was, you know what, we need to change that. And so what the Lord said to me was, I want you to use technology to reach people, but here's how I want you to do it. Go out and listen to people. People who are in my growth group, a lot of them are here tonight. I've been telling people for a long time, you know what I want you to do? I want you to really listen to people. If you're out in the grocery store and you talk to somebody, don't just say, how are you? I want you to really look at them and say, tell me how you really feel. And some of the people in my growth group really did that. And what they found was people would cry to them, complete strangers. People would tell them things going on in their life that... <laughs> they had just no idea, complete strangers. And also people that they knew, friends of theirs and other people. So T. Randolph and Friends is on the web. Uh, you can just go to trandolphandfriends.com. It's also on iTunes. Um, it's not, uh, people are asking me, well, is this, is this like some kind of a ministry? What this is, is a lot of the people here who know me, uh, my wife Debbie uh, is part of this. Uh, I've been blessed by a lot of really good people in my life. There's been many people, many of whom are in this room, who have stood by me through a lot of difficult times, who have helped me deal with a lot of personal tragedy, some of it's self-inflicted. A lot of people have helped me and come alongside of me to deal with trauma that I had from childhood that caused me a lot of problems. And uh, so the Lord was saying to me, I want you to take the wisdom of some of the stuff that you've learned, but also people in your life, and I want you to share that with others. So what T. Randolph and Friends is all about is exactly what, that, what I just said. It's people that I know, my friends, helping me share the blessing of God without telling people, you need to change or you're going to hell. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. If you don't love somebody a certain way, you're going to hell. It's not about I'll love you if or I'll love you when. It's about I love you just the way you are. And this whole thing that we're going to talk about tonight... It's how God loves versus how we love. And one of the things that I want to really emphasize before we get started is we need to thank God and be on our knees every single day to thank him that he doesn't love the way we love because we don't know how to love. We're broken and we're dysfunctional. And everybody in this room, if you're honest with yourself, you have to say, I'm broken and I need help and I need to be fixed. And there's only one person who can do that. And that's the Lord. And we'll talk about that a little later. So what we're going to do tonight, I'm going to introduce each of the panelists here. 
Um, I'm going to take us through a little journey of how man views love, how man views power, how man views forgiveness and anger, and how God views it. And so uh, with the help of my friends here, we're going we're gonna to do this tonight. This is Sam Gallucci. Sam is a pastor in Ventura. He has a church there called The Harbor. He also uh, runs the, uh, helps do a lot of work with the, the Kingdom Center in Ventura and in Oxnard for the homeless. Sam, if you want to know about Sam, go to the web page that we have and you can hear his story. Sam is someone who was at the top of his game in the business world. He didn't have to want for anything. He had bodyguards. He had the whole package in terms of how we view it in the world. And Sam had some things come to mind and the Lord worked with him and Sam is now um, one of probably the best pastors I know in the area. And So we're going to hear from Sam tonight. So give it up for Sam. And uh, the, next, the next person here, this is Lena Graff. Uh, Lena is someone who, uh, there's two people I really need to acknowledge right now at this moment. My wife, Debbie, uh, she is the inspiration after God for what I'm doing. She has always shown me grace. She lives it every single day. I probably don't know anybody who truly gives grace more than my wife does. So I want to say thank you to Debbie. And uh, Lena, Lena Graff and her husband Phil have been uh, longtime friends. Uh, this is her place. She's the one who organized this whole thing. Lena does relationship events here at the barn. You can ask her about it. By the way, every single person I'm talking about, their information is on the website, their interviews, their pictures, everything. So if you say tonight, I don't know who that was, who was Randy talking about, just go to the website. It's all there. Lena, uh, she invited Debbie and I to go to some of these relationship seminars. I called, told my wife at the time, I don't want to go. I'm tired. It's Friday night like tonight. Tired, I'm irritable, I don't want to go. Why do I have to go? I'm just going to hear the same thing everybody else always tells me. Ah, oh, you know, the women are right, men are wrong, the men are wrong, I don't really want to go. So I went and I loved it. She does such a good job, she and her husband. They really get real and authentic. And uh, the Lord said to me one of these things, this is kind of before the trip. I was just listening to Lane, I go, man, she really is real. Like, she is not putting veneer on anything. Sometimes in Christian circles when you talk with people, especially in growth groups, you never really tell anybody what's going on. Because you're afraid if I tell them they're going to judge me and they won't be my friend. That's kind of how you are in life anyway. Uh, but Lena kind of taught me a different way of doing things. And so I want to say that Lena was the first person I interviewed on relationships. Make sure you listen to it. She's fantastic. And she's probably one of the most authentic human beings I've ever talked to. You can learn a lot by listening to Lena, and she's the real deal, too. She's not faking it. So give it up for Lena. And uh, the next person is uh, Don. This is Don Dukes. Don is a pastor at uh, Calvary Chapel in Thousand Oaks, uh, recently from Florida via Montana. Right. Uh -huh. And uh, Don, uh, also, he's, on, he's, one, he's our last person we interviewed. He's on the webcast uh, right now. You can listen to him. Fantastic. His topic was grace. If you go there, you get to see a really cool 1960... 1968 Chevy Impala. 68 Chevy Impala with the moon wheels and everything. Me and Don riding around in it. It's very cool. Uh, Don has an incredible story because he came from a church with 20,000 people. 
And uh, that church was ruled by rules and not by grace. And he talks about that during the podcast. Uh, so we're going to hear from Don. And Don is an associate pastor at uh, Calvary Chapel in Thousand Oaks. So thank you, Don, for coming. Thank you. You got it. Thank you. And uh, this is Michelle Wartner, a licensed family therapist. Uh, her husband, Jim, is here tonight. Thank you for coming, Jim. And uh, she is also one of my wife's friends. My wife has a lot of walking buddies here tonight. Uh, she's one of them. Uh, but Michelle, uh, what I love about Michelle, she's also on the podcast if you want to listen to her. And uh, she tells about her story when she was married. Her husband left her. She had two, two kids, mm-hmm. uh, no money, didn't know how she was going to pay for anything, uh, and just went through pure health for a period of time. She talks about how God was her friend. And how she used to drive around in her car, and God would sit in the car with her. And she'd talk with them. So she'll tell you a little bit about that. But give it up for Michelle. Um, and so uh, also the thing, too, about the podcast, uh, I think it's so important to tell people about encouragement, victory, joy, and hope. Encouragement, victory, joy, and hope. Because if you look at what's going on in the world right now and you just really talk with people, like really talk with people, most people will tell you, I'm hurting. I don't have joy. I don't know if I'm going to have joy. I don't have hope. I Where is hope? And just everything in the world is just crushing me right now. So the whole idea of the podcast we're going to talk about tonight is try to give people some encouragement. Places to go, resources, people to talk to. Also, on the topic, before I forget, Jenny and Guillermo are here. Guillermo and Jenny are also on the podcast. And their story is incredible. I can tell you this because they have it live on the internet. Jenny and Guillermo were heroin addicts for 15 years. And they were following Jesus, but the addiction was overwhelming. I think of everybody I've interviewed so far, their story is the most compelling. It's unbelievable. I don't want to tell you much more about it because I'd give it away, but they're both here. Uh, They are uh, assisting Sam in his church to help him run the church there, and their story is unreal. If you listen to anything on the podcast when you go there, because I know time is precious, a lot of people are like, I don't want to spend half an hour to listen. Just just tell me how fast I can listen to it, get it over with. Listen to their story, spend the 30 minutes, it'll change your life. It really will, so I encourage you to. So I want to thank you both for coming. What we're going to start with tonight is, this is kind of a journey historically. Um, I like to really look at things from the perspective of our, uh, how man developed in society, how man developed in civilization how man really thinks, and the thing that is very important uh, to stress, human beings haven't changed, I think, from when Adam and Eve were created by God. We are exactly the same, same brain, same everything, same emotional fears, same emotional drama, same emotional everything. If you read Genesis, the first 10 pages, it's pretty much the same thing going on today. It's happened right away. So what we're going to start with is this is uh, a quote from a symposium by Plato. This is from Greece. And I'm going to have Lena read this because this will give you a little insight into how the Greeks viewed love. So Lena, why don't you read this first page, please. And greatly as the gods honor the virtue of love, still the return of love on the part of the beloved to the lover is more admired and valued and rewarded by them. For the lover is more divine because he is inspired by God. Now Achilles, 
was quite aware, for he had been told by his mother that he might avoid death and return home, and love to a good old age if he abstained from slaying Hector. Nevertheless, he gave his life to revenge his friend, and dared to die, not only in his defense, but after he was dead. Wherefore, the gods honored him even above Alcestes, and sent him to the island of the blessed. These are my reasons for affirming that love is the eldest and noblest and mightiest of the gods and the chiefest author and giver of virtue in life and of happiness after death. So we're going to talk about this for a minute, but when I was doing the research on this, uh, the Greeks and the Romans worshipped many gods, and people familiar with the Bible know that when Paul went to Athens, uh, he said to them, the way he really got them to listen to him was they actually had a statue to the unknown God, and he started talking about that. Um, their view of love, they had a lot of, you know, in English language, we just, we, we just call it love, but the Greeks had words that many different types of love, you know, agape and, and, and the different, different kinds. And so here, I just want to, I'm going to start here with, uh, with Lena first. Lena, when you're reading this here, and he's saying that that uh, love is the eldest and noblest reason for affirming love. When, when you think about love, just the way, just in life with human beings, what is it that you see that, like, are human beings capable of saying to somebody, I'll love you without condition? I don't see it very often, but I think they are. I mean, I think if we're, if we're loving like God loved us, we lo love without condition, but I think our natural bent is to love with an agenda. Uh, when, you, when you have the marriage, and a lot of us are married here, um, in marriage, do you think marriage is one of the things that God puts us together in because he's trying to teach us how to love without condition? I think marriage exposes you, and I think most of us are terrified to be known, and it exposes the areas that were not complete, exposes the areas you need to grow, it also exposes how inadequate of a lover I am. I mean, there are times where I've looked at Phil and I've said, I like you sometimes, but I just, I'm out of love. And I've just realized that that's where I've needed the love of God to transform me. And I know he's felt that way about me. So um, I think for us, marriage has been a lot of hard work, but it's worth every, every minute of it. Hollywood will lie to you and tell you that it's happily ever after. And most of us who've been married, and many of us who've been, many who've been divorced know that it's not happily ever after, that it's hard work and that it's raw and it's gritty and it, it exposes things in you that you don't want to see in yourself. So most of us then say, well, I'm out of here because I don't feel very good in this marriage. Um, but I think if we slog it out and um, I think really if we cry out to God and say, help me learn how to be a whole human being in the context of this marriage, that it's one of the ways that God teaches us about intimacy, teaches us how to be loved in the context of vulnerability. Let me read something. Uh, this is uh, from Corinthians. This is one of the things that God has to say about love. <clears throat> this is probably my favorite passage in the entire Bible. Uh, this is Paul writing, and now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, 
It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. One of the things I tell my growth group sometimes is this. I feel that God's love cannot be contained. And I feel that when God's love is at work, nothing can resist it. There is no force in heaven or earth that can resist it. And what happens so many times is as human beings, if you were to read these words truthfully to each other in a marriage or in a friendship or just with your children or just your friends, do we really do any of this? So I want to ask you, Michelle, uh, when you look at the second page here, were mm-hmm. you following with me when I was reading that? Yeah, I was. Okay, now you do work with people in the community, and mm-hmm. you see people come in. Are, do people mm-hmm. even have an understanding of what love is from the way God looks at it? I think most of us think that love is supposed to be and is a feeling. And it's something that we're impassioned about. We have that feeling, and if the feeling starts to go away, then we're out of love. And I think the misconception there is that love is a choice, and it's a chosen behavior. You know, I'm going to choose to treat you and behave in a loving way, in spite of the fact that right now I may not even like you. When, uh, when parents are loving children, uh, and again, I think you do a lot of uh, children therapy yeah, as well. What happens in the child-parent relationship uh, that you see causes the most destruction between a parent and a child in the area of emotional love? I think parents, um, particularly in the area that we live in, really want to indulge their children. And so they will smother the child in material goods, and, but not necessarily with the tough lessons because they're afraid their kid isn't going to like them. And sometimes your child isn't going to like you, and sometimes maybe that's okay. They shouldn't like you because the things that you need to teach about love are more important. When, uh, when you have a situation arise um, with a child, and let's say a mom, or like in a divorce situation, what, what, what happens in those situations? Do you see uh, the, the parents putting the child at risk regarding just all the tension that happens when the divorce happens? That's so rugged. I mean, that's just, that's a really tough one because the parents are hurting so much, you know, and uh, I think the parents don't often have the ability at those times to think, okay, I need to somehow keep that separate from the child and protect the child while this is going on. Instead, the kid is kind of in the middle of all of this stuff that's happening. A lot of the times they think they're the cause of it. They think they could prevent it. They think they could keep their parents together. And so there's a lot of pain that the children feel because they don't really understand the situation. And oftentimes, the parents don't either. We're going to jump now. to Roman, so we did the, the Greek thing to start. This is something on, um, there was a historian called Tacitus, T-A-C-I-T-U-S. The reason he's important is, uh, a lot of you who probably have done history with Christianity, uh, the Romans viewed Christianity as a pagan cult. Like today in our, in our country and throughout the world, if you're a Christian, right, what, what do we say? Oh, they're a Mormon, it's a cult. 
Oh, they're uh, a Baptist, they're a cult. They're whatever, they're a cult. The Romans had the view that Christians were dangerous. They were, in many times, deceived about what Christianity was really about. Nero, the emperor, burned Rome and because he was insane. And when he did that, he blamed it on the Christians. And what he did was he convinced everybody that the Christians were burning Rome because they, did, they wanted to bring the downfall of the Roman society. And the thing that's really weird is when we look at it today, what we say is, well, Christianity's moral, and the Romans were immoral. The Romans looked at it like, we're moral, and you Christians are immoral. And what that tells you, if you think about it, is man's relativity. Because left to our own devices, and you've heard this before, sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. And you leave mankind to themselves without God intervening, it would be bad. And you see it happening even right now in our country where we still think we're a Christian country, but turn on your TV, go to the internet, go to the grocery store and look at the newsstands, and I want you to tell me if you had enough evidence to prove that we are still a Christian country. Think about it for a minute. So on this one, just bear with me. This is one of the longer readings. You might get bored with it. I hope not. But Michelle, I'm going to ask you to read this. This is something I got off the internet today. And this is how Tacitus is reporting about Christianity in Roman times. Would you mm -hmm. read that, Michelle? And it's in 12-point font, so bear with me. <laughs> Neither human resources nor imperial generosity nor appeasement of the gods eliminated the sinister suspicion that the fire had been deliberately started. To stop the rumor, Nero made scapegoats and punished with every refinement the notoriously depraved Christians, as they were popularly called. Their originator, Christ, had been executed in Tiberius' reign by the procurator of Judea, Pontius Pilate, governor from 26 to 36 AD. But in spite of this temporary setback, the deadly superstition had broken out again, not just in Judea, where the mischief had started, but even in Rome. All degraded and shameful practices collect and flourish in the capital. First, Nero had the self-admitted Christians arrested. Then, on their information, large numbers of others were condemned, not so much for starting fires as because of their hatred for the human race. Their deaths were made amusing. Dressed in wild animal skins, they were torn to pieces by dogs, or crucified, or made into torches to be set on fire after dark as illumination. Despite their guilt as Christians and the ruthless punishment it deserved, the victims were pitied. For it was felt that they were being sacrificed to one man's brutality rather than to the national interest. Now the reason I wanted to bring that out is I think it's so important for us, whether you believe in God, don't believe in God, to kind of understand human thinking over time. Because what happens so much in our society today is we are looking at a tree. We get up, we look at the tree. We go to work, we look at the tree. We work, we eat lunch, we look at the tree. We drive home, we go to sleep, we look at the tree. And that tree is us. We're only consumed with ourselves. We're in the mirror, the only thing we're thinking about is ourselves. And I tell my growth group sometimes, if you're honest, we're pretty selfish. We get up in the morning, I'm tired, I need coffee. I need to eat, I need to lose weight, I need to run, I need to look good. And think about it, every single thought in our mind starts with I. 
I say to people sometimes, why don't you start with you? What would you like today? How do you feel today? What would you like to do today? And if you start thinking that way, you would be surprised at how much better you'll feel as a person. There's a spiritual truth I want to touch on here, and then we're going to, we're going to go back to this here. I've told people before, because I've seen it in action, I believe it's true. When you give to others, you will come out of depression. When you give to others, you will be energized. People will ask me, Randy, you know, I'm pretty busy what I do every single day. People will ask me, where do you get the energy to do what you do? It's not from me. The moment I started loving people the way my wife's loved me over, over the years and other people in this room have loved me, I started to have a better mindset. And I was able to have a lot more energy. So I want to challenge you all today is to think about starting your thoughts with you. So on that note, I'm going to go to Don for a minute. Okay, Don, the Romans think that we're pagans. The Romans think that we're a superstition. The Romans think that there's this, this whole idea of being a Christian is just wrong. And uh, with, given what you know, can you share with us a little bit about have you seen the love that comes from above just change people's lives. Can you just give us a little vignette mm -hmm. on that for you? Uh, you know, the, the Bible says that uh, above all things, the heart is wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? That we think I know, we know ourselves and we don't. And um, how do I see the, the love of God, you know, coming from a good family, uh, my dad being a pastor, my mom being a community servant, and you think, oh, and then he was a, he, uh, he oversaw a YMCA and he ministered to young people and the whole nines. And so you think that I would automatically be a good kid. <laughs> I'm a shoe in, but, but, but I was a shoe out. Uh, you know, the, the, the only footsteps that I could walk in to have my heart change was that of Jesus Christ in my heart. Um, and I, I, I never wanted to be a pastor. I, I, I thought Ooh. God was restricting. And I said, God, I want a girlfriend. I, I want to have fun. And if I get in church, I, I'll be a monk. I don't want to be a monk. <laughs> and, and, and it was all that. And, and battled God for years. But, but the love of that is that it, it is, is, is a person's own relationship of what God has done for me and not trying to pay penance by being good. I always try to perform to be good so that God would love me or God won't give yes. me trouble. So I would say is having Christ's love in me, that is my hope that he gave and I received his gift is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, how in the world do you do that on the Highway 101? How, how do you do that on the 405? How do you do that on the 23? You can't. And, 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 I, and, and I heard a person tell me the other day that, well, you know, Don, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm basically a good person. And, and, and I had to let him down and say, well, I'm sorry, my friend, but you're not a good person. I'm not a good person. But you serve in a church. I said, no, I'm not a good person. I said, the only good that is in any of us is the Christ that comes in our heart when we of our own free will receive his gift. And then when good things come out, we can't take credit for it. That credit goes to God. And, and I believe that a lot of people don't want to give God credit for anything because it is the false trinity, me, myself, and I. And the false trinity never works. <laughs> And that's why it's called the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I mean, false training, because me, myself, and I, and I'll tell you this one thing, and I give the mic over. I remember having Christian bumper stickers on my car, and I had road rage in Florida <laughs> in a Ford Escort station wagon. 
And I remember one day I ran a guy off the road. I was so mad at him and had the Christian stickers on the car. And I called my friend. I told my friend about it. He got quiet. And that quiet, he fell out laughing at me. He laughed. He said, Don, the reason why I'm laughing is because it's not your goodness. It is only in Christ, not in religion, because religion frustrates because it points the way, but it doesn't give us the power to walk the way. Only your relationship with Jesus gives you the power to walk the way. While we're still on this, Don, would you go to the next page? It has your name on it. You have that in front of you? Would you read that, please? Uh, This is 1 John 4. Listen to this. Uh, Dear friends, let us love one another, but love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What happens, and you'll see this more as we go along, when you compare what God says about love versus our view of love, you realize how broken we are and why we needed the Savior to come. One of the things that I've learned over life, too, is this, and I actually talk about this on a podcast. There are people who don't want to be loved. Do you know why they don't want to be loved? Because love to them is associated with pain. It's associated with brokenness, and it's associated with trauma. Because here's what they'll say. Well, my dad told me he loved me, but he left me. My mom told me she loved me, but she never really helped me. My boyfriend told me he loved me, but he left me. So-and-so told me they loved me, but they didn't really love me. And when I grew up in life, and I talk about this on the podcast, I learned not to love. Um, not only did I not want love, but I didn't want to love at all because everything that had been shown to me and everything that had been modeled to me was, I don't want anything to do with love because love to me was pain and heartache and anguish. And uh, it was only through restoration through the Lord and my wife and different people. Sam's one of these people right here. I love this guy. He's been tremendous in my life. Um, but if you think about it, sometimes when you talk to somebody and, you know, we talk about love and we say to each other, well, I just love you. And somebody just does this when you say that, because what they're thinking is you don't really love me. And if you did love me, you're just going to hurt me like everybody else has hurt me in life. So I don't want to be loved. Just leave me alone and let's just fake it for a while. And what God is saying is, I have an authentic love for you. I'm going to accept you for who you are. Right now, all faults, all everything. And I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit so that you and I can have a special relationship that doesn't exist anywhere in the universe, neither in heaven nor on earth, just with me and you. And what's interesting in life is if people truly knew that that's what Christianity was about, they would be running to it. I want that. Now, I'm going to... Jump over to Lena. Lena, when you see people in life, you just heard what I said about love. Do you ever see people running from love? 
Well, I think none of us walk through life unscathed, and I think just what you said, people are wounded and hurt. And if you ask people about love, they'll tell you when they've been rejected. If you ask people about comfort, they'll tell you when they've been wounded. So um, I could probably, I know about half this room on this side and some of you on this side, and, and I know a lot of your stories. And one of the things that makes me want to love people is when I hear their stories. It just, I think they're amazing that they're even here. So I hear so many stories all over the world, by the way. Somebody asked me a question tonight about living in Europe, and I'm here to tell you that people all over the world are exactly the same. Created differently and uniquely, but with the exact same longings and needs and cries and woundedness and marriages are in trouble and people are dissatisfied and it's a human dilemma. I think we are in crises as a human being unless we allow God to love us, but unless we allow the community of God to love us. And it means knowing somebody's story more than just saying, I love you. And that's to me, that's kind of cheap. Oh, I love you, Sam. I just met you tonight. I love you. And I want to, but until I know somebody's story, until I know what they've been through, then I don't really empathize with them and get into their shoes and into the grit of their life to where I feel I've even earned the right to say that. We haven't heard much from Sam. When I ask Sam, Sam, you were hearing me talking about this idea that sometimes people come to you and they want to love you. It could be your spouse. I mean, I know there's been times with my own wife. My wife's trying to love me, and I won't let her love me. And she's totally frustrated. She doesn't understand. She's hurt. She's like, you're just really weird right now. And I'm like, I, I can't love you because I don't know how to. I had to learn how to love. Sam, do you, do you ever see that in your, your, your ministry and stuff that you do? Sure, all the time. You know, I, I, it's just awesome. I, for me, I failed miserably at this before I even began to understand love. You know, so for me, it's... Uh, uh, when I think of love and I think of all the great, the privilege to come alongside people God loves so dearly that the world is just discarded. Um, the word that comes to mind is failure. And I think out of deep failure that we truly find what love is. And um, I, it was certainly that way for my life. And as I read the scriptures and I see people's lives you know, the Bible says this. It says, those that have been forgiven much love much. And there is something so deep about God. The gift of love is love. And to understand what that means is, is to really, for me, to understand that um, it's out of incredible failure in this area that you, you realize failure um, Plus acceptance equals love. So in the depth of failure, in the depth of sin, God says, I accept you just the way you are. And, uh, and you just can't wrap your brain around it. You just can't understand how that's even possible when you've let people down so much, when you've let the world down, when you've let yourself down so much. How is it even possible that God could love me? How is it possible that I could even be capable of loving anyone else? And, um, and then you realize while we were still sinners, before one person came to him, before one person decided to give their life, he died on the cross. I mean, that's just like, that's just trippy. It's not like he took a survey and said, okay, I, I got this idea, and how many are you in before I lay down my life? You know, and, and then when he did it, he said, he said, hey, every sin that you have committed, every sin you're committing not, every sin I already know you're going to commit, I still love you enough to die for you. And, um, and all the people that we have the privilege of coming alongside, um, 
they, they come with a complete, utter lack of understanding of what love is. I mean, 100%, it's, it's, it's not in their vocabulary. It's not even something that's possible. If you can imagine being in that spot, it's uh, um, because of their own failure, or, or like you said, because of the failure of just how they've been violated by love. When they think of love, they think of evil. And, and so... Um, yeah, it's it's a real deep topic, and and um, uh, to find it, I think we we have to understand um, the depth of failure that uh, um, to find the depth of love. That's pretty profound. What Sam said, we need to find a depth of failure to find a depth of love. Sam, I love that. Um, this is something that uh, Orson Welles. The people may know him from the entertainment business, but here's what he said. We're born alone, we live alone, we die alone. Only through our love and friendship can we create the illusion for the moment that we're not alone. Think about it. I'm completely alone, and I'm only going to have love so I can pretend I'm not alone. Think about how empty and shallow and really how tragic that is. Think about it. I get up in the morning, I'm alone. I go to sleep, I'm alone. I'm with a lot of people, I'm alone. I'll talk to people that I know sometimes and say, do you ever go to a room? Could be like tonight. All these people. But you're sitting there and you're so afraid. I cannot tell anybody what's going on and I'm not going to tell anybody what's going on because I don't want to be known, like Lena talked about. And because if people know who I am, they're going to judge me. And then they won't be my friend anymore and they really don't care about me anyway, so I'm just not going to say anything. And what happens is the enemy, Satan, where does he want you to be? Alone. Why does he want you alone and isolated? So he can destroy you. Think about it. The Bible says you're walking down the street together. What does it say? Don't walk alone. Why? Because if you fall down, what does it say? There's nobody there to pick you up. I tell people a lot in life, don't walk the journey of life alone. Walk it with somebody who wants to be your friend. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a friend. God never intended us to be alone. Relationship, hopefully healthy. We try. This is what this podcast is about, trying to help people have more healthy relationships. But you don't want to be isolated. So I want to hand this mic over to Sam again. Sam, we were just talking here about where he says this illusion for the moment that we're not alone. Can you talk about that for a minute? To me, this defines faith. I mean, when we look with the physical eyes and we see all these people around us and we see things around us and we, and we think we're really lonely, it speaks to faith. It speaks to the issue of faith. Because faith is, a, is, this, is, is the substance of things, uh, hope for the assurance of things unseen. And to really find love, to me, to really find love in what is said here, it's to understand the connection between the fact that it's God's love that's with you wherever you go. That's why you're never alone. But that takes faith. And so the dimension of understanding love is to, is to connect it to faith and recognize that love goes wherever you are. It says, you, where can you go? Where can you flee from my love? If you go to the depths, if you go to the heights, if you go to, to hell and back, I'll be there with you. Nothing can separate you from my love. On that, Sam, I'd like you to read this next page. And this is how kind of God works because 
This is what I had for Sam to read to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He leads me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restoreth my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, uh, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but David wrote that psalm. Is that right? And he wrote this when Saul was trying to kill him. For those of you who don't necessarily know the whole story, the first king, I think, the Jewish people ever had was Saul. He was picked by God. Saul went off the reservation, went crazy. And uh, David was anointed by the Lord, but David didn't become king for like 10 years after he got anointed. And uh, it was Samuel that anointed uh, David. And uh, so what happened is Saul's trying to kill David because Saul didn't want anybody to overtake his kingdom. So David's writing this, I think, when he's hiding in caves. Is, is that right, Sam? And um, Debbie and I actually went to Israel and we saw those caves. They're kind of radical. So he's in a cave and he's hiding and he's writing this. Remember we just talked about being isolated and being alone? Well, Sam made a really good point. You're never alone because God is always with you. You can't escape him. But what David's talking about here is he was at a place where the entire Israeli army, the Jewish nation at times, trying to find him to kill him. He's probably saying, Lord, I don't want to be king if I'm going to be killed. I'm just this little kid because at the time he was young. I think at the time he was anointed, wasn't he like 17 or even younger, maybe 14. So he's this young teenager hiding in caves saying to the Lord, thanks, but no thanks. You just anointed me with oil. Now this guy wants to kill me. Imagine that going on for 10 years of trying to find him to kill him. And at one point, I won't get too far afield here, he had to act insane and go to the Philistines to avoid being killed by Saul. So that's another story altogether. So when we talk about this, I want to go over to Michelle here for a minute. Michelle, in life, when you're doing your thing with people who live here in Southern California, what do you see in terms of isolation and the things that we were just talking about regarding um, just life and the speed of life? Can you talk about that and how that affects people? That's really interesting. It's an interesting question, Randy, because uh, my husband and I live in Westlake Village. I have a practice in Westlake Village. Debbie's smiling because I, uh, we also have a farm up in a little town called Creston that has 200 people. And um, we've had our farm for the last five years, and I would say that probably during that time we've met more people and have developed more relationships in this small town of 200 than we have in the big metropolitan area of Westlake, Thousand Oaks, what have you. And I think it's exactly for that reason that people are so busy, that they have so much going on that you don't even know who your neighbors are very often. You don't know uh, the challenges and the hardships and the pain that people are going through that might be just next door to you. And so I feel quite privileged in my practice. I'm a therapist in Westlake and... um, And I get to be real with people every day. And one of the things that you had said, Lena, is so true that people are so afraid to be known. And what's so painful about that is 
there's an exact dichotomy on the other side, which is they're terrified that they're not going to be known. They're desperate to have somebody know them, but terrified at the same time. So how do you bridge that gap, you know? And we know that our Heavenly Father knows every hair on our head, that he knows everything about us, and he still loves us. And I think that's something that helps connect people within a community where people are running so fast. We're going to transition now to uh, Niccolo Machiavelli. He was uh, a statesman in Italy, in Venice, at a particular time in Venice, was a merchant state. This is like 1500s. And a guy called Sun Tzu. And uh, Lena, would you read the quotes from these characters for us? Um, The end justifies the means by Machiavelli. Since love and fear can hardly exist together, if we must choose between them, it is far safer to be feared than loved. And engage people with what they expect. It is what they are able to discern and confirms their projections. It settles them into predictable patterns of response, occupying their minds while you wait for the extraordinary moment, that which they cannot anticipate. So these are guys who basically view mankind as people to be used, manipulated, and controlled. And the thing that's interesting is man's philosophy, if you really know it, that's really how it is. The philosophy of the Lord, and it's not a philosophy, it's just his truth, is completely contrary to basically 99% of all the writings by humankind Generally, 99% of all mankind's writings are about controlling other people, putting them in slavery, controlling their property, controlling their assets, and human beings basically had little or no value. And the person who had the power was the person who had the military strength. And what these guys are talking about is complete manipulation. Here's what's scary. To them, totally acceptable conduct, totally moral, totally fine, totally good. And here's what's really scary today. Have you ever walked around and met somebody and you know the moment you see them, they're evil? You just sense it immediately like this person, if given a chance, they'll gut me right now and take everything I have. And they may gut you emotionally and you wouldn't know it until it's over and then you're laying there on the street half dead emotionally because you've been gutted by somebody who was waiting, and, waiting to do that to you. So um, I'm going to go back to Don. Don, when you're hearing this, type of language. Do you ever see this happening today in America? Are we starting to drift back to the ends justifies the means? Goes back to the false trinity, me, myself, and I. That's what it goes back to. Man does not have the ability to love. It, it only comes through Jesus Christ. And, and, and when you hear phrases like, well, you know, just keep a, a stiff upper lip. Well, I'm not going to walk around with my, my lip stiff. I look like an orangutan. I'm not going to do that. You know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, I don't wear suspenders, so how am I going to do that? Uh, only Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when I was in the miry clay and I was in the pit, Lord, you took my feet and you set me upon a rock. And, and, and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the cornerstone of which the foundation is built. And then from there, it is built up. In man's world, it is from the top down. Your CEO, your COO, and then it comes down to management and the whole nines. But now with Jesus, he takes the world, right? And then, and then he, flips it, he flips it right side up, okay? Because it's already upside down, but he it thinks it's right side up. So when I was looking at this quote from this guy, I'm thinking, 
this guy is certifiable. Where'd you get this kind of malarkey from? And people try to live by this, and they try to live by their own bootstraps. And what happens is, is that their children end up being destroyed, their marriages end up being destroyed. Uh, uh, you have a case where a spouse will say, you know, I'm not happy. I'm out of here. Go find your butterfly. Uh, go find your flower. Uh, when the whole time, this man's philosophy has mowed down the whole garden. Uh, it happened in the Garden of Eden. Uh, when, when Adam and Eve uh, walked away from God and did what they did. And then God had to come in the cool of the day and said, Adam, where are you? And then what did he say? He didn't say, you know what? That was my bad, God. I, I, you know, I, I should have controlled the fruit serpent thing. He said, well, by the way, it was that woman you gave me. <laughs> so see, it goes back to the blame game. Um, um, evil is around everywhere. And the only uh, one to disperse that, even in small things, is the light of God's love through Jesus Christ. I'm going to transition for a second. We're going to talk about enemies now and people who hurt you. Lena, when people get hurt or you have someone who's really offended you, what happens as human beings? Can we forgive that person normally or do we hold a grudge or do we as Christians walk around sometimes and say, I have justifiable anger. I have the right to be angry. Do we ever have the right to be angry? I'm not sure we have the right to be angry. I think we are angry all the time. But I think as a, as a person with faith in Jesus, I think one of the things that he's, he brings into your life is the, the phrase we've used a lot in our Sunday night community that we have is not to be surprised. This world is really broken. And we feel like we should be born into this perfect world and that we deserve to be fully attended to. And when we're not, then we feel entitled to our anger, which is a protective emotion. But I think Jesus says it's a broken world, and that's why I came, and I came right into the middle of it. Um, I don't want to necessarily expose my girlfriend here, but I'll just tell you a story of my own life where when we were living in Portugal... And we had moved like five times in ten months. It was, it's a long story. And I was probably about as exhausted as I um, ever have been. And um, ended up having a conflict with my girlfriend that went to the... It pierced me to the core. And I think it was God bringing up shame and sense of not belonging. I grew up as a missionary kid, so I never felt like I really belonged anywhere. And... Um, I kind of thought I dealt with all of it. And then this conflict that she and I had, it just pierced me to this place that I thought, I've, I've dealt with this. I'm done. It's like, and here it was, and every single thing about my life was gritted through this sense of rejection and shame, and I, and I don't belong. And, and it was a huge rift in our relationship. And I felt hurt. I know she felt hurt. Um, and everybody feels right in their own positions. But... Months later, I just felt like God kept saying, you know, kept bringing this old, cheesy song to mind that they'll know you are Christians by your love. And I was like, I know, I know, stop. But I kept saying, when I'm ready, God, when I'm ready, and I know she'll be ready before I am, and it'll make me look really bad, but <laughs> she was ready a lot sooner than I was to, to reconcile. And at some point, God just softened my heart. And um, we began to meet and to talk through what had hurt both of us. And I have to tell you, there was something about forgiving and laying down your rights to be wounded, your rights to be, you know, self-protective. To this day, she's one of my best friends. And it, there was a healing in that relationship that she's here, visiting from Portugal, back there. <laughs> to this day, she was an instrument in my life for my own healing. And to allow God, it was like I was so going to protect myself from ever being hurt again. And when God said, lay it down, and um, 
then we rebuilt trust into our relationship. There was such freedom because we knew that if we hit conflict again, we would work it out. That's what builds trust is working through conflict and allowing yourself to be seen in your brokenness, allowing yourself to be seen in your vulnerability, which Americans in particular, we are masterful at controlling other people and controlling our worlds and you know, living our comfortable lives, which we're inclined to be that way so that we don't get hurt. Here's uh, something that uh, is out of Luke from uh, the Bible. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. That is a really hard thing to do, isn't it? Do good to somebody who hates me? Ah. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Um, Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now think about what he's saying here. This is God talking to us. You're wicked. And you're ungrateful, but I love you anyway. You're wicked and you're ungrateful, but I love you anyway. Do we love that way? Sam, do we? Yeah, no. (laughs) You know, as as you were reading this, I was reminded of a story when we started the church. There was uh, one of the ladies that we were really helping. um, She had cancer and she had a young daughter and very bitter and hurt and and um, the cancer was terminal, and she had no place to stay, so we let her stay at the church, and we really bent over backwards for her. And after being there for a while and going through the cancer treatment, she was getting better, and we just gave, 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 gave. And one day, someone came in and said, Pastor, she's stealing from us. And, um, and each day, she would take something. She would take things in the, you know, just all over the church. She would just take stuff. Stuff would be gone. And her van started to pile up. She had a van with stuff from the church. With the blanket would just, it was so obvious. And I had everyone coming up to me. You got to let, let her go. This is unbelievable. You can't let her steal. And I just said, no, just, just leave her go. And uh, we just loved her through the whole process. And then she, she left with all the stuff. And we didn't see her for a while. And then I remember the Lord talking to me and said, do you realize I just showed you how I love you? You steal so much from me. And I just keep loving you. And you steal the things I give you. You don't let my son get what he paid for in your life. And I love you. And it was the first time that I started to really understand what love was relative to God. And uh, so this really touches my life because, uh, uh, and, it's, and it's convicting me right now with what we're going through at the church. So it's like, Lord, slam me right now as you're reading this. Uh, Matthew, Matthew 5, uh, verse 43 through 48, uh, Jesus speaking, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, the S-U-N to rise, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your brothers, uh, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let me just do an aside there. See at the end it says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What's he referring to there in terms of being perfect? What he's saying is forgive your enemy, love your enemy. And sometimes what happens is men, when we hear that, when I think of an enemy, something trying to hurt me, trying to kill me, and that's what I think of. But a woman, it might be somebody that's gossiping about them. It could be somebody that they've reached out to and that person's just not reciprocating. Um, it could be you gave a gift to somebody and they didn't send you a thank you card. It could be you went out of your way to bring somebody some groceries and they didn't say thank you. It could be that somebody is always calling you when they need something and you're there for them, but when you need something, they don't call you. You don't hear from them and they don't show up. So what uh, I want to ask Michelle, because I think Michelle might have something to say about this, just talk about forgiveness for a little bit. Oh, my goodness. I Just yesterday, in session with a 16-year-old girl from a local high school, and she was sharing with me that um, while she was in her history class and uh, getting up to give a speech to the class, that there was one girl who would always kind of roll her eyes and you know look at somebody else and go, pss, 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 and she really felt that she was being talked about, and she felt so badly about the way this girl was treating her, and she was really giving into it. And I shared with her a story that I've heard about how God helps us go higher and avoid the people who are pecking at us and being negative and critical of us. If we think of eagles, and we often see this out in the country, if we think of eagles who one of their natural predators are crows. You see the eagles in the sky and the crows are pecking at them as they fly along. But the eagle knows how to get away from the crows and deal with the crows. They fly higher and higher, and higher, and higher, just like our Heavenly Father urges us to do so that they're in a zone here where the crows can't get them. Except for one time, my husband saw the eagle flip over and eviscerate the crow, and that was the end of it. (laughs) And that was wild, but that was one time. But other than that, they do. They fly higher, and they get into the stratosphere. Thank you, Michelle. We've got about 10 more minutes, and we're going to be finished. But uh, we're trying to leave some of the best for last. Sam, would you read the next? Uh, this is from a gentleman named Emo Phillips. When I was a kid, I used to pray every night for a new bicycle. Then I realized that the Lord doesn't work that way. So I stole one and asked him to forgive me. That's just that's brutal, man. <laughs> and then, Don, would you read, uh, read the next page, please, Psalm 6? Yeah, uh, Psalm 6, verse 1 through 5. Uh, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you 
when he is dead, who praises you from the grave? Now, Don, when you read that, do we human beings love the way that God loves us? Do we have unfailing love? No. (laughs) You know, when Eve took the apple and she gave it to Adam and God confronted him, of course God knew everything before it ever happened, of course. And so what happens is when God goes to Eve, he goes, what happened? And uh, she goes, well, (laughs) Satan told me to eat the apple. That's where I ate it. I'm a victim. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm in denial. Then he goes to Adam, well, what happened? He goes, well, she's the one that gave it to me. And besides that, you gave her to me. You're the reason all this happened, God. I have nothing to do with it. Is that what we do as human beings? We do, don't we? I'm a victim. That's a, first of all, that's an American invention, if you will. Everybody in America is a victim. The next thing is everybody in America is in denial. I can't take responsibility. Of course, I didn't do anything wrong. The only reason I'm in this situation right now is because the person sitting next to me, I don't know who it is, my son, my daughter, my wife, my friend, they're the reason I'm here. I had nothing to do with it. So, Don, talk about that for a minute. Talk about denial that we have. As it was spoken before, uh, honestly, it's the exposure thing. Uh, no, one, no one wants to be discovered for faults. Uh, uh, everyone wants to save face. Uh, no one wants to look bad. But we need to keep in mind that Jesus Christ, he looked bad for us. The Bible says he took all of our shame. He was scorned. He was beaten, battered, and bruised. I mean, imagine being, having a bag put over your head, being punched in the face, saying, I prophesy who is hitting you, being beaten so badly that he can be recognized as man or woman, having facial hair pulled out, uh, having the whip uh, of cat and nine tails. Uh, and it was a long thing with all kind of uh, rocks and chips on it, and they would, they would hit him with it. It would wrap around his body. Then they would take it, and then they would pull it. And then all the nerve endings were exposed. You see, he took our shame for us. And uh, the best thing that we can do is say, you know what, Lord? Hey, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, God. I, I may look good on the outside. I may look like I have it together. I may even be in ministry. But Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because if it's not for your grace, I would be doing the same thing. And, I, and that's, that really is the heart. The heart is, Lord, you already know me. Read Psalm 139. You know my thoughts. You know when I'm up, I'm down. You know when I, I rise up or else I, I can go to the depths. I can go all these places and you are there with me. You know me. So create in me, as the psalmist said in Psalm 51, a clean heart. Give me a clean heart. Start with me. Uh, so I won't judge other people. So that's part of that. Uh, Sam, would you read this? We're, we're going to be right at the end here. We've got two more things to say and we're going to wrap it up. But I think this reading that Sam's going to read, if you want to know who God is, Think about what he's going to read to you right now. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believed in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That phrase, condemn the world, so many times if you look at banners at football games and you see the things, what happens is they read or they talk about the first sentence, but they don't get to where it says God didn't send his son to condemn the world. Very important point. And on that topic, I'm going to give this to Lena. Lena, what does that mean to you when God's saying, I sent my son, but not to condemn the world? 
I think one of the things I've loved about Jesus is that he um, loves broken humanity. If you study any religion in the world, and I, when I was um, a young woman, uh, I was uh, studied uh, French existentialism for a long time, and it left me severely depressed, suicidally so. And, um, and some of the quotes in here that you read are just right in that same genre. And most of the world will tell you that, you know, it's all about you. And I was living, thinking it was maybe all about me, and then I just found myself not enough. I wasn't enough. And um, so then I decided to look at every other religion that there was because I thought, well, I want to know what I believe. And every religion said the same thing. There was either a God that was impersonal that I somehow had to earn my way to, um, or there was nothing, which meant that I was an accident. And there was something in me that I knew, well, I might have been an accident, I legitimately was, um, but... I felt that I wasn't an accident I, because I had this longing for meaning, this longing for significance, and, and I think all of you do too. There's this sense that we want to be connected with one another. We want to be in loving relationships. We want to be known, and yet it terrifies us. And so in every religion that I looked at, God was either absent, cold, mean, and in every religion there was a system that I somehow had to earn my way to God, and I've never been a very good systems follower, so it didn't look good for me. And then one day I really, I picked up this book that was really over my head, and it talked about the God of this universe, that I could know him, but more importantly that he wanted to know me. And, it, and I have this short way of saying it now. It was like God looked at humanity and said, you're never going to make it. So I'm going to have to come for you. And Christianity is the only system of thought, and it's much more than that, where the God that created you, that knows you, that knows what you're hurting with, that knows how you're wounded, said, I will come for you. And it's your choice to respond to my love. And he... He offers it, and he says, I know what you're going through. I know what your family situations. I know where you're hurting, wounded, broken, alone, isolated. And none of us get well in isolation. And God says, you don't have to be isolated, and you don't have to even understand me. Because once I come into your life, I begin to open up your heart. And all of a sudden, stuff started to make sense to me. And I was in a really severe depression during that stage of my life, and it was years of pulling out. But I woke up the next morning and I thought, oh my gosh, I have hope. And there's a sense that the God of this world would come for me. And I, have, I dare to have you look at any other system of thought and have it be so fulfilling. It changed my life. And it continues to change it. Um, somebody said, do you just wake up here every day and just go, oh. And I don't. I get up and I work and I vacuum and dust. I do what everybody else does. And I work through conflict and relationships. But stuff doesn't make you happy. Only the God that created you, who knows you, satisfies your soul. And that gives you meaningful relationships here. All right, we've got a final note. Michelle, would you read the last thing for us, please? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Thanks for listening to T. Randolph and Friends. Please write to us or check out our website, blog, and conversations at trandolphandfriends.com. We would love to hear your thoughts on topics and guest ideas for future shows. We are Listening to Life. Listening to Life.